0: So last week we studied Acts 1 in part, and we looked at how we are called to not just be settlers— but to be pioneers, continuing the movement of the gospel into all the parts, particularly for us locally, where God has placed us in those different relationships in the marketplace, in our family, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has, has us. Let us be faithful in that. And we are challenged with that. Well, today we look at another portion of this whole dynamic and it begins in Acts chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And that's something I always encourage you all to do is uh, if you have, um, you know, whether it's paper or, or online or digital or whatever, to the best you can, make the most of the reading. So circle things that might stand out to you, write questions that might come to mind, because if you're like me, you'll read a little longer, and then eventually you forget what you were thinking and stuff. So try to make the most of time reading Scripture. If that includes uh, coloring it and stuff, feel free to do so. So Acts 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost was one of the major Jewish festivals. There was Passover, which we looked at when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and then he was crucified the same weekend of Passover. And then there's this with being Pentecost. This was the second major festival. This was 50 days, Penta, right? 50 days after Passover and, and uh, as a major festival for the people of Israel. And then there was also one more called the Feast of Booths. And so this is the second... second... Second one with that, all these people have gathered in Jerusalem to honor and remember the Pentecost festival. What says this? uh, Verse two, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This, this, I want to pause there for a moment. This is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to birth the church. And in doing so, it is so interesting how that's, different, maybe from some major moments in biblical history. And so Genesis 1-1, you read this in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, so there was nothing, and out of nothing, boom, God speaks, all this stuff happens. It's very uh, uh, bombastic, not in the, uh, well, yeah, anyway, so they're like, not big bang way, but God spoke. And boom, it happened. And so here you have that in Genesis 1-1. Well, the gospel accounts, not necessarily chapter one, but the gospel accounts speak of Jesus' birth, that's another major moment in history, and that was different. That carried the characteristics of, say, humility, uh, simplicity. He was born in a stable. He was born uh, kind of in Bethlehem. You know, like just all these different marks of of um, uh, not the royalty that he actually is. And that comes later for him when he returns. And then in this moment, you have the Holy Spirit birthing this. This is. Uh, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of those two, in which there is all this stuff visually. You got tongues of fire, like uh, physically, you're feeling this rushing wind, you're hearing it. I mean, just the Holy Spirit's like, I'm here. Right? He's showing up, He is moving, and He pours upon them, and they begin to speak these tongues in other languages, as we'll find in a moment here. Just an amazing element. So, and then and then, probably another moment in, in church history, in, in biblical history, would be the return of Christ. And with that, we just have all these different elements of who Christ is as it's portrayed in Revelation. And that's very strong and intense. So, I just think it's interesting seeing these different uh, moments in which God is revealing himself in a unique or powerful way. So, here we have that with Acts 2. Now, it continues in verse 5. Now, there were uh, they were, now there, were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, as we mentioned, because of Pentecost. They were devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So you can imagine, like, th- this wasn't, again, limited to just those who were in the room with uh, uh, this really intimate experience. The, those on the outside, to some degree, they are seeing and hearing, and they're, they're hearing literally the other languages being spoken in a moment. We read about this, and And so others, the whole community, that like area is impacted by this. It says the multitude that came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, right, 15 different groupings. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I love that they are hearing of how God is working, who he is, what he's doing in their own tongue. God is using this in a unique moment of time in order to proclaim and expand his message. Verse 12 says, And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking, right? There's always some mockers. (laughs) Here we have some mockers saying they are filled with new wine. So in this moment here, uh, this is the story. We'll we'll transition it in a moment. But in this telling, there's this mighty movement and work. Something incredibly unique. For those of us who are followers of Christ, you would have experienced not only this movement of the Lord in your own heart to respond to him as a believer, but probably if you're like me, throughout your Christian life, you'll have these mountain highs and lows. But in those highs, uh, maybe it's been a camp, maybe it's been a mission trip, maybe it's been a sermon or a worship service or a really powerful retreat. Sometimes it's in the mundane, quiet time and just that day, Um, but not always. And so you can look through and you can track these different monumental movements of the Lord in your heart, well, this friends, was something really unique, something incredibly different that uh, for us, we tend to look at this uh, like as, as the church, we look at this as the birth of the church and what's happening. <clears throat> so what happens? Well, Peter responds. He says, he's standing verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11. So the other disciples, he lifted up his voice and he addressed them. All right, there's a few different portions of the sermon. Let's start with the first one. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m., too early for that. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Again, we, we might not be familiar with Joel, but because he was a writer, he's in the Old Testament, you got to flip back about, I don't know, this many pages in my Bible. But if, you, if the, the listeners at this moment, they would have been familiar with Joel to various degrees, knowing that he preached about the future return of Christ or the future, future uh, Messiah and his work and all that was going to be happening. So verse 17 is a quote from this. It begins, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, right? No partiality between who it is that is receiving this. Uh, It says in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, this is something you want to underline, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, salvation is not limited just to those immediate hearers or those in Jerusalem, but to everyone that they can take the gospel to and those who can uh, hear it and respond to it. And then even subsequent generations like us, we can respond to and be saved uh, with this gospel message and belief in Jesus. Now, I want to pause there just to explain a little bit of this because anything that references Old Testament prophets and what they see and are compelled to proclaim about the future, it can be a little hard to work through. And so one of the ways that I find it easier to read this and understand how to categorize some of this is to recognize Peter is taking this Old Testament passage and he's seeing a partial fulfillment of it in this exact moment. Literally a room full of people begin to have the Holy Spirit pour upon them and they have the tongues of fire that are like present and they're speaking other their tongues and then they are declaring the works of God. So in that moment, they are doing a form of prophecy, declaring and seeing. And so Peter's just walking through that. Now, to my knowledge at this point, First say tw- nineteen and twenty has yet to happen this actually, we read about this later in Revelation, in which there are movements in, in the in the sky and other things regarding some of the end times we 've talked about that in the past we 'll talk about that more in the summer when we get to our new series. but in this case, this would be a fulfillment some of this was happening right there in that moment, and the, and there 's kind of this continuation until there is the great day of the Lord, and that reference is consistently used regarding the return of Christ. So, Peter's preaching this, trying to give some explanation to what everyone is seeing, and then he shifts to describe who Jesus is. And he uses amazing attributes. All of us should just do a deep dive into learning and studying this. We will talk through some of it to the best that I can right now. It says, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, right? So I'm pause there. He's, he's just helping them know like, this is the Jesus I'm talking about, the one of Nazareth. Some of you traveled through Nazareth to get here. You know that little town none of you guys really think much of. Yes, that Jesus, the one that was the carpenter's kid. yeah, Yeah, that one, you know this Jesus, okay, Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Again, all within God's plans for redemptive history here. It didn't take God by surprise that Jesus was crucified. This was all part of the plan. Verse 23 continues. So according to the foreknowledge of God, the definite plan, you crucified and killed by the hand. uh, Yeah, you crucified. He was killed by the hands of lawless men God raised him up, loosing the pains pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Right? Jesus victorious. He can't be held by death. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades also described it as the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Again, in this moment here, Peter does what a lot of the New Testament writers do, but they'll take these moments in the Old Testament and they will quote it. Sometimes they'll say how this is a fulfillment of a certain prophecy, or they'll say, Uh, They'll just use it as backing. In this case, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 16. He included these words about his own experience of God being present with him. Well, for us now, 2,000 years later, 3,000 or so since the psalm was written, we're able to see how David was a picture of the future Jesus, which kind of works because most people see how Jesus is. He's in the line of David. He is the true Ruler of Israel, not just David, who is an earthly one, and so you have Jesus here, who is fulfilling, in a greater sense, even what David wrote about his own experience. So, Peter's mentioning that, and that's really resonating with the listeners again because they're they're faithful, devout Jews. It not only says they're devout, but they're present there for this festival, <clears throat> and it continues. Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. It's known as the Davidic covenant, that one of David's descendants would be on the throne. This is Jesus. Verse 31 he foresaw, I'm talking about David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So he, Jesus wasn't abandoned to Hades in his soul and his earthly body didn't decay in the tomb. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and all that we have all witnessed, yeah, and, and of that, we all are witnesses. Yeah, he's saying that we have all seen Jesus raised. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Wonderful language too. It's not exactly saying this, but it's in the same like road of Peter saying, we saw Jesus resurrect and now you are seeing and you are hearing that this happened. You are now a part of this, like, gospel redemptive story. And in a moment, how will they respond? But he continues. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. So Peter's speech, this is the bulk of it, and he's taken them right to Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus has done. One author summarized it well. Let me find the quote that he used. Here it is. This passage... There's five elements that Peter emphasized. One is his death. One is his bodily resurrection. Oh, yeah, yeah, about Jesus' life and ministry. So we have Jesus' death. Number two, we have Jesus' bodily resurrection. Thirdly, we have Jesus' exaltation to the Father, which combines his ascension and his exaltation to the Father. Fourthly, is his coronation next to the Father, And then lastly is his victorious second coming when he makes all enemies his footstool. And so Peter emphasizes these, and it's wonderful. I'll tell you, friends, when it comes to understanding faith in the Christian faith, you begin with Jesus. A lot of people find themselves in a rut because they start with certain behaviors. They'll start with this is what a Christian looks like, or this is how a Christian talks, or this is what Christians do. And it's like, well, how about we start with who Jesus is? Who is the Christ? And this is who the Christ is. These five dynamics that Peter emphasizes and then also explains using a lot of Old Testament um, prophecy and backing to explain what is happening. My question for all of you is if you heard this, how would you respond? If you heard about who Jesus really is, how he died on the cross for our sin, and how he is alive, how would you respond? Or how have you responded? Let us not be so blind to think that our heart is not deceptive or that the enemy is not tricky in telling us things about when we read truth, he will lie to us. Friends, this is truth. And I want you to see how the people responded to this. You know, did they, did they go boo and throw tomatoes? Or did they just say like, I, I hate this? or full of doubt, how do they respond? Well, the ones who are listening here, I love this. This is one of my prayers for you every Sunday, as well as our community. Verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, right? Truth pierces into our heart. It really does, it it, aligns, it makes all the fog of this world just totally seem, uh, Worthless, And we can look with clarity when we have the truth, particularly in matters of faith and righteousness and how to live. So it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Wonderful question. I wish I was asked that question much more often. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That would include us, right? Everyone, it continues, everyone whom the Lord, our God calls to himself. Salvation is for all those who are uh, subsequent generations and those who are far off throughout the world. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exalt, uh, exhort them. So he's preaching to them. Who knows how long he's going all afternoon. It says, uh, lastly, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So verse, last verse today. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls, Over 3,000 people heard this message and they were moved. They were cut to the heart and they responded with faith and belief. For us as a church family, their response should challenge us. Peter's response and actions should challenge us. Uh, This whole story, I find, uh, there's a little bit of some people who are the critics, kind of in the middle, but Generally speaking, thousands of people responded to this message. They found themselves saying, yes, that is, who the, that is who Jesus is. Now, Peter wasn't preaching on his own strength, and he wasn't preaching with great wit or knowledge. If you recall, he's an unlearned man. He was trained well by Jesus for all these years, but here he is preaching Primarily under the power of the Holy Spirit who's working and moving. And we should always remember that when it comes to living out our life. We don't live on our own strength. We don't live uh, with our own competence or uh, earthly wisdom. We let God lead us and guide us. And he's always faithful to do so if we let him. My challenge for us as a church family in light of this story, and, and I, I, I could go for like five. There's amazing takeaways here. It's one of my favorite passages for many reasons. But my challenge for us, particularly today in light of the series, is to be like Peter, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim it first to yourself and then to proclaim it to others. Preach the person and the work of Jesus to yourself and to others. Now, I summarize it saying the person and the work of Jesus in like one sentence, but this passage breaks it down pretty well. Even if you were just to use a handful of the verses Here's who Jesus is. Jesus of Nazareth. He did mighty works. He died. It was part of God's plan. He was crucified. God raised him up. God raised him up, not only out of the grave, but all the way to heaven. He's next to God the Father. And one day he will return. I would just walk in yourself through that every day. Is one of the most important things you can do if it doesn't come natural work like it will come in time i found it for myself it is more easy but even those days where i'm extra deceived or um, unsure my footing is unsure go back to the basics i literally i will read it i will read this passage or others and just remind myself what is the truth because the enemy will tell me something my own mind will tell me something the world will tell me something what is God saying regarding the truth of the gospel? We preach it to ourselves every day. And then, secondly, we also preach it to the community. We preach it to those that God has placed around us. Your family. uh, I'll put it this way. You are not in your family by accident. You're not in your job by accident or in your school or in your neighborhood. You thought you bought the house because it was a great deal. God let you get the house so you could be a great witness to your friends and your family and your neighbors who are there. Whether whether it's your home or whether it's your your, uh, workplace, fill in the blank, your spheres of influence, where you are. You think you like a certain store because you just have a certain type of style. Hey, perhaps God's given you a certain style. He's like... We just break it all down. A bunch of us like different stores. You know what? Use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel to those people that you're shopping from and you're talking to on a regular basis. I want to challenge us in light of what we said last week. We want to give our community repeated opportunities to respond to the gospel. And if we take that seriously with intentionality and press in the, 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 uh, you know, push the gas all the way to the bottom of the car. And just being able to share the gospel with intentionality. As a church family, even if we were to share that with, say, six different people, all of us, we'd see about 3,000 people having an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And prayerfully and in faith, we would want all those people, thousands of people, to respond to the gospel. Getting connected to it to our church or other churches starting new churches in our town because only so many people can fit in like this room and others and we want to be able to see people responding to the gospel there are times in which God will use something like Peter's message and uh, preachers throughout the ages to be able to proclaim his gospel but day in and day out he uses you living your life and speaking words of truth in love to those who are lost So I want to remind us, as I think through this passage and what it looks like for today, I challenge you to share what God has done in your life. Last week, there was a running joke a little bit among some people, and I was in on it, like just hearing it. And the response was something like, uh, Adam challenged everybody to share share their faith this week, and everyone's like freaking out. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So let me just circle back on the same exact thing I said last week, and that is, Share the story of God's work in your own life. Don't get too discouraged by, confused by, distracted by giving the most eloquent academic gospel presentation using a PowerPoint. If if you have that and you're familiar with that, use whatever means mean the most to you. But friends, if Jesus has changed your life, then you can share that with people who haven't experienced that change. And if you back that, uh, those words up with your life, it carries a lot more significance. It would seem that one of the biggest reasons we struggle to share the gospel with those who are closest to us is because we tend to live kind of one way with the people closest to us versus strangers who don't know how we live. So we can preach to strangers all day, but the reality is the people that God has given us a, a place in their life. It may be more difficult. So in those moments, uh, two things for you. First of all, if you are living hypocritical, you can just admit that with them and still say, but I'm still saved by grace. And let me like re what I've done. And I'm gonna strive to live out that grace every day. And then secondly, let's be challenged by Philippians 1.27. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We wanna live out the faith well, among those in our lives. Letting our life be lived out, worthy of the message of the gospel. Now again, that's a challenge for us who are having one foot in church world in which we look one way here and then we look totally different the moment we get in our cars. And so the challenge, if that is you, I would say get honest with the Lord, confess that sin and ask him to strengthen you in all areas of your life. I've had to do the same from when I was a student Uh, when I was much younger to even now, let me live out my faith consistently and faithfully. So if you do, you will find it is, well, it may not be easier, but I do think you have greater opportunities to share your faith if you're faithful and consistent in your faith and in all these different spheres of your life. And when you have those opportunities this week, Start with the story of God's life in you. You can tell me how God has saved you from like a crazy car accident or from a r- ridiculous health medical situation or from something that you should not have been able to get through, something with your child that was incredibly scary. You can tell me all these different stories. You can tell me with great detail. You can tell me with great emotion. Well, if you can tell me about those moments of God's saving hand on an earthly sense, you can tell me also about how God saved you, how he saved your soul. The details of it, the stories of it, the doubts you worked through, the struggles you worked through, tell the story. That's all you need to do and get that started. As we said last week too, uh, Maddie, you and the team can come up here. As we said last week, the, the challenge for us as a church family, practically is to identify prayerfully, to identify six people that God has put in your life for you to share the gospel with. And to do so on a regular basis, praying for them throughout the week, maybe one each day, maybe all every day, and sharing the gospel with them, beginning with what God's done in your life. I had the opportunity this week to share with somebody on my list and to begin to build that conversation, and it was awesome. And it was life-giving, and we will see what God will do to build upon that. And Uh, I've been praying in faith, there'll be some fruit there. And as there is, I'll share that with you guys. And as you have these moments of fruit, I want you to share them with me as well. And we will see how God will begin to uh, give us this moment to basically be like Peter, proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and also to those around us, right? Let me pray for us.